love songs that remind us of how great God is. Amen? Amen. He is an awesome God. If you would stand with me, please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. We're going to read from verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. When you got it, say so. All right, nobody has it. All right, maybe, maybe, maybe y'all still sleeping on me. All right. When you got it, say so. Come on. There we go. There we go. All right. It says this Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the wonderful and awesome reminders of your might and your power. Today, Lord God, we humble our hearts before you and we ask God, speak to us. Lord, let us be sensitive to you. Let us hear from you, God. And Lord, I do come against every distraction of mind and heart. Father, we pray that right now that we would be fixed on you. And God, that we would not just hear your word, but that we would live it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are continuing in our series, Where Do We Stand? Where do we stand? We started this a few weeks ago. Uh, about four weeks back we began and we dealt with a couple of topics that were really important about where the church should be standing. And as I've said from the beginning, as we look around our world, there is no question that there is turmoil. If you look at Portland, you look at um, Kenosha, you look at Washington, or you look at the church right now, and you have to realize that there is something going on. I was having a conversation with my sister Karen a couple of weeks ago, and as we were discussing what's going on in our world, there was one thing that we both understand, and it is that there is a spiritual something that is happening right now. It's not just what we're seeing. And so what I'm saying is when you look around, like no matter what news outlet you are, you know, that you enjoy, you know, whether you like NPR, you like Fox, you like MSNBC, you like CNN, whoever, you know, you're good go-to outlet of media is, you know that there's an issue. But here's my question. My question is, are you really seeing what's going on? Are you really seeing what is going on? I'm not talking about the fires. I'm not talking about the riots. I'm not talking about the looting. I'm not talking about what's, you know, happening or being said. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Are you seeing what is really going on? Are you really seeing what's happening? When you go back in the Old Testament, you find that Elisha was with one of his servants, and he was surrounded by the armies of the enemy. But Elisha was, was confident, and he wasn't fretting, and he wasn't worried. And his servant was like, man, we're surrounded. We're about to be destroyed. I'm, hello. And he's like, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. 
And the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw chariots that were surrounding them, and all of the armies of the Lord that were surrounding them. And so Elijah was, was fine. He's like, look, they're, they're surrounding us, but guess what? Our God is surrounding us. Our God is going to fight for us. And what we have to realize is that, that, that we see this spiritual battle that is taking place. And the Apostle Paul reminds us here of this battle that is going on. So behind the scenes, in the spirit realm, there is a battle raging greater, hear me now, than what we see on the news. There's something greater, and you know what? No, none of these people that I've just mentioned to you are going to talk to you about the spiritual battle. They're going to talk to you about the, 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 the players in this battle. They're going to talk to you about the situations that are there. But none of them are going, and some of them may know, maybe they don't. But here's the thing. They're not going to communicate with you or I about this battle that's going on. But we as the church, we have to be awakened to this. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. If the enemy can keep us distracted, he can keep us from being, from being deployed. If the enemy can keep us distracted, he can keep us from being deployed. You see, we're going to talk next week, and we're going to wrap this up on what God has called us to do in regards to the harvest. But today, what I want you to realize, and, and listen, some people may disagree with this, but here's what I know, is that everything that we are seeing that is going on, they're only distractions. The things that we see that are happening from the spiritual standpoint, they're just distractions. And that is why the church, we have to be a people who are what? Who are spiritually awake. Not a people who are just in the know of what the news is saying or what, you know, is going on. I, you know, I love to watch the news. You know, my family is always telling me, stop watching the news. You watch the news. I remember when I was a kid, I felt the same way. I never wanted to watch the news. As a kid, I hated the news with everything inside of me. And now I can't turn it off. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm getting old. I don't know. I want to know. I'm not, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, but I, I want to know what is going on. I want to know what's happening in our world. But you know what, church? We need to not be distracted. The enemy works overtime to distract us, to get us so caught up in A, B, C, or D that we're not focused on what we need to be focused on, which is the fact that we are part of the army of the living God, that we are supposed to be deployed in the work of the Lord, and we get so caught up in the affairs of this world that we're not focusing on the affairs of the kingdom. We've been called to be focused on the affairs of the kingdom in this world. And so have a few points for you today. And then I want us to wrap up our time together and us actually applying some of what we're going to talk about today, which is us really praying together and really interceding and having a time that we pray. And so my first point is this. If you would say this with me, know our enemy. We must know our enemy. What does Paul say? You look at verse 12. I mean, look at verses 10 through 12. Paul says, finally. And so when Paul is saying finally, what is he doing? This is his wrap-up. This is his closing, right? This is he's ending the sermon. That's what he's doing. And he's spoken to us about the wonder of who he is, of who God is. He's spoken to us about our position, our identity in Christ. He's made sure that we understand this stuff as he communicates to the church of Ephesus. And then he goes on and he communicates to the church of Ephesus and to us as well what our response should be, meaning our responsibility for being children of the king, for being those who are seated in heavenly places in Christ, for those who have been saved by grace through faith, and not of our own works. Then he goes on to tell us how we should live. He talks about husbands, wives, children. He deals with all of this, how we should deal with one another. He talks about how we should interact socially. He does all of that, and he comes to the end of this letter, and he decides to wrap it up here. And he says, finally, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, and remember this, today I'm going to talk to you about a title, a sermon entitled Body Armor. Body Armor. And I was gonna, I was gonna call this message "Armored Up," and I, and I'll ask you that question later. But when I was looking and I was studying, I want us to remember: this is not just about your armor; this is about our armor. 
This is about us being armored up. Because again, in my temptation, right, is to think about the armor of God as just about me. As just about me putting on the armor for myself, for the battle that I'm in. And for sure, you should be dressed in the armor of God as an individual. But we also need to be sure that we don't forget that this is body armor. This is the armor of the body of Christ. Remember what I said in the first couple of weeks. I want to drive home the reality that this is not just about you. This is about us. This is about the church collectively being who God has called us to be. And so he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be cute. That's not what he said. (laughs) Put on the whole armor of God that you may be fashionable. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to seem spiritual. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What is he telling? He's he's letting us know, listen, you can have the knowledge of who you are in Christ and what Jesus did, and you can know what you need to do as a follower of Jesus, but if you are not armored up, if you don't have the armor of God on, if you are not strong in the Lord, you will fail, fail, fail. You will never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Why? Because there's an enemy. There's an enemy that doesn't want your marriage to flourish. There's an enemy that doesn't want your children to grow in the faith. There's an enemy that doesn't want your family to be who God wants you to be. There's an enemy that doesn't want the church to succeed in fulfilling the purpose of God. There's an enemy that is there, and he has these wiles that he's bringing against our lives. In verse 12, he says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Pause for a moment. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember what I said about the news a moment ago? You may think they, he, she, whoever, I'm not going to name names. You may think they are the problem. You may think they are the issue. And what I want you to know is that Paul makes it crystal clear. They are not the real issue. There is a deeper spiritual battle that is going on. And while we are wrestling with each other and fighting one another, we are missing the battle against the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And so Paul lets us know that there's this battle, there's this, there are these wiles of the enemy. What, are the, what does the word wiles mean? Well, it's a, it's, it's a word that is methodea in the Greek. It's the, it's the, word, it's the word from which we get methods. And in another translation, it says the schemes of the enemy. And what we have here is that we see that it is the word, it means craftiness. It means deceitfulness, that you will be able to stand against what? Against the craftiness of the enemy, against the deceitfulness of the enemy, against the methods of the enemy, that you will be able to stand against the deceptive works that the enemy is trying to bring to distract you. You see, there's something that we have that's crystal clear. From the book of Genesis to Revelation, there is no absence of the wiles of the enemy. Think about this for a moment. The third chapter in the book of Genesis, we are introduced to the wiles of the enemy. We are introduced to the craftiness, to the schemings, to the deceptive plotting of the enemy. You continue throughout the scriptures and you find what? You find the works of the enemy. You see the enemy is at work. And it amazes me how much as a church sometimes we act like the enemy doesn't even matter. Think about this. We don't realize that the enemy is working, and God tells us, you need to be strong in me. It is the goal of our enemy, as I said earlier, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. His schemings haven't changed. What does he do? He wants you to question God. 
He wants you to question God's word. He wants you to question God's motives. Because what? When he can get you to do those things, you and I will sin against God. That's what we'll do. And here's what we end up doing worse than anything else is we end up giving up ground that God has already secured for us. Go back to Genesis. What did God do? God gave Adam and Eve the garden. He gave them the world. He gave them everything. He gave them all the ground. And because they chose to listen to the voice of the enemy, they gave up the ground that God had given them. Church, we are called to advance the kingdom. God has done some things. We were with our men yesterday and some of our guys, and we were talking about what God has done and us being equipped with, you know, us being equipped to live for Christ, us being equipped to do what God has called us to do. Now, think about this for a moment. We've been equipped. God has given us certain things. God has done some. God has liberated us by the power of the cross and the gospel. And yet, what happens? We continuously give up ground. Because we're not aware of the wiles, the schemings, the deceptive plans of the enemy. And so we have to be awake. We are in a battle. And our enemy, look what he says when he goes. I I love the way that Paul does this. It's the only place that he really breaks this down. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so you know what that shows us? That shows us a few things. Number one, it shows us that our enemy, he is what? He is powerful. He's not all powerful. Don't get it twisted. He is not all powerful, but he's not no weak, you know, weak, you know, wimp over there that doesn't have any power. He has power. If he didn't have power, we wouldn't need armor. If you have power, we wouldn't need to be armored up. We wouldn't need any, any strength in the Lord. If he was weak and impotent, he's defeated. That, that, there's a difference. Powers, principalities, spiritual host of wickedness, darkness. And so what does Paul do? He shows us not only that our enemy has power, but he shows us that our enemy is organized. Organized, just like the military. Different ranks, and you know, we, we don't have to get into all of the different things, but if you go back in the book of Daniel, you see examples of the Prince of Persia. You see examples. This is a principality, a spiritual host that was over a nation. Think about that for a moment. I mean, there's principalities, there's wickedness that is assigned to nations, that, that, that are assigned to cities, that are assigned to I believe that, I mean, that, that's, that's the organization of the enemy. But here's what I want you to do. What I want you to know is that if you're a Christian in this place, here's the deal. The beautiful thing is that you and I have the victory because what? Jesus disarmed powers and principalities. He made a public spectacle of them on the cross, triumphing over them on the cross when he died and rose again. So we're not defeated. We already have the victory. We have to walk in that victory, do we not? We have to put on this armor, and we have to be ones that say, wait a second, our enemy is powerful. Our enemy is organized. You know what our enemy is as well? He's persistent. See, because he's defeated. You know, last night as I was preparing for this sermon, I felt it appropriate to revisit Gladiator. (laughs) And in in the opening scene of Gladiator, there, there, there's something that happens with Maximus and, his, and one of his generals that is there with him. And one of his generals, you know, they're, they're waiting to see if the, you know, the Germans are going to say, hey, you know what, we're just going to surrender. <sighs> and he asked the question, he said, you think we're gonna, they're going to fight? And he's like, I don't know, we'll see. And all of a sudden the horse comes in, right? You remember, if, you, if you remember the movie, the horse comes in and the horse comes in carrying a body. It's a headless body of the person who was sent over there. And the general says to Maximus, he says, a people should know when they're defeated. Maximus is like, would you? Would I? Why do I bring that up? Because here's the thing. The enemy, he's defeated, but he hasn't given up. The enemy has already been conquered, but he's not going to quit. He is persistent. 
He doesn't want you to believe the things that God has said about you and I. He doesn't want us to believe what God has said. He wants us to question what God has communicated regarding the church, what God is communicating, what God has communicated regarding the cross. He wants us to question those things. He doesn't ever just give up. And you know what? He takes cheap shots all the time. And sometimes those shots, even from a place of defeat, cause us to experience things like, man, where'd that come from? That's why we have to be wise. So what do we have to do? We have an enemy that's powerful, an enemy that is organized, an enemy that's persistent. That means, church, we must be empowered. We must be empowered. We're going to look at that here as we're looking at what Paul writes. We have to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might is what Paul communicates to us. We must be unified. We have to be unified. The same way that the enemy is organized, church, we must be unified. If there is one thing that you and I need to recognize, and please don't tune me out. Hear what I'm saying. If there's one thing that we have to recognize that we are seeing now, worse than ever before, is division in the body of Christ. There has never been more uh, a virtue signaling ever, ever than there is today. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, someone sent me a text. I won't tell you who they are, but, but they sent me a text. It was a group text, right? And the person, and, and, and listen, I don't want, this is not to get political. I just want to show you what I'm talking about. The person sent the text message, and they were explaining their feelings about Trump, and they were positive. People don't want to hear that, right? But here's the thing. Explain their feelings and why they were going to vote for him. The next person replied back, mind you, I only have the first person's number. Every other number in there, I didn't even know who they were. I didn't even know how I ended up on this text message chain. Anyway, it was a family member who was sending a message to people they loved, people they cared about. The next person responds back and says, no, if you vote for him, you're voting for, and went down the list of negatives, and I was like, okay. But he ended it with this, F you and F Trump. Bishop, did you just say that? I did. They did. That's the heart that we have today. People that are supposed to love Jesus. And the hatred has grown to such a level that we can't even have civil discourse. We can't even disagree because the enemy, listen to me, the enemy has worked in such a great and powerful way to bring division to families, to bring division to the church and body of Christ. We got to wake up. We can't give in to the enemy, and we can't allow him to continue to divide us over things that in the end have no kingdom significance. Because you know what? The kingdoms of this world will bow to our king. We need to be about the king's work and about the king's business. We need to be about the work of God, about the kingdom of God in this earth. And so we need to be empowered, we need to be unified, and we need to be vigilant in this battle. Listen, don't go to sleep. Don't, don't just be like, well, it's no, 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 no. You need to be awake. You need to be awake. You need to recognize what's going on. This is what Paul is communicating. We need to recognize what is happening in our world because, church, we're not here just to suck our thumbs until Jesus comes. Are you here? We're not here just to chill and be like, well, he's coming. No, no, what are you doing until he's coming? Are we armored up? Are we in the body armor that God has called us to be in? The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me, say, wear our armor. So the first thing that we have to do is we need to know our enemy. The second thing is we need to wear our armor. So what does Paul go on to say in verse 13? He says, therefore, because of the powers, principalities, because of the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, because of the wiles of the enemy, take up the whole armor of God. For what? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul says, listen, you need to take up the whole armor of God. Don't leave a piece of it. Keep it all. You need, you need to take up this armor because without this armor, you won't stand in the evil day. Listen, every day from the day, from the fall, has been an evil day. Every day from the moment Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, it's been an evil day. You go to chapter 4, Cain and Abel. What does it say? It said, look, I mean, it's crystal clear. The first murder is when? Is right after they fall. Because what? Jealousy. Where'd that come from? Came from the enemy. 
that wanted to overcome, that it came from the sin is what God tells Cain. Hey, man, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to overcome, but you can overcome it. You can overcome it, but you have to be able to recognize where your error is. Cain didn't want to recognize his error. Instead, he wanted to remove his brother like his brother was the problem. His heart was the issue. It's another preaching, but here's the deal. What we have here is what? We have our armor. We have been given armor to enable us to stand. And I like this, hold our ground. That's what one translation says, to hold our ground. I love the gladiator, right? I, I told you I, I visited last night, so I remember that. And I thought about this. It was because of this that I actually turned it on. It was because I, was I wanted to make sure that when I quoted the movie, I quoted it correct, and I just got stuck watching it. But here's, the deal. here's what happens. He says this. When Maximus is talking to the army right after these people decided they're going to fight, he goes and he talks to the, to the guys, the part of the, re of the regiment that he's leading. He tells them what? He gives them this whole you know, speech, this pep talk. says, listen, hold the line. Hold the line. In other words, stay in line. Stay in your position. Don't get out of position. He's like, listen, if you find yourself alone going somewhere else, I'm not going to quote the whole thing. He's like, basically, you're in heaven, Elysium. You know, it's, it's not the real heaven anyway, anyway. But what does he do? He's saying, if you stray from the line and you find yourself alone, you're going to find yourself dead. Hold the line. In other words, hold your ground. And this is what Paul is telling us, the church, hold your ground. But you know what? You and I can't do it alone. We need to be together, unified, and that way we're able to hold our ground, to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. We say this, you've heard this before, united we stand, divided we fall. That's not just a cliche, that's real. That's truth. If we are not united, we're not, listen, we're not advancing the kingdom. We're falling for the wiles and the deceptions of the enemy. So Paul goes on, he communicates this, and he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And he says this, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And here's, here's what I realized this, is that we are to put on the armor individually, but wear it collectively. Here's what, here's what I mean. I can't put the armor on you, but I can put the armor on for you. Think about that. I can't put it on you. I can't make you put on truth. I can't make you put on righteousness. I can't make you put on peace or the gospel. I can't make you put on salvation, but I can put it on for you. See, I can put it on because when, we, when, I, when I have the armor, when you have the armor on, it's not just for me. It's for us. Because then I'm able to recognize, hold on a second, is that a work of the enemy in your life? Is that, is that the enemy who is coming against you? I'm able to be armored up for you and you for me. It's not just about me. It's about us. It's about us being armored up together. It's about us standing in these truths. Why I said we have to be united. Think about this. Each piece of the armor reps, rep, represents an absolute that the church should be united in. Every one of the pieces of armor represents an absolute. Think about it. So you have the belt of truth, absolute truth. There is one truth. We are supposed to be people of truth. And this belt, right, what does the belt do? Well, you guys know what a belt does. I mean, I've talked about this before. You know, there, there's some people, they need to learn what a belt is for. <laughs> a belt is supposed to keep your pants at your waist. Hello, somebody. Right? Some people think it's to hold the pants around their butt. I don't know what they think. But there's some people that have not learned how to use a belt. Right? The point of the belt is to bring things together. In those times, they wore robes and things like that. And so if they were going to go, they had this undergarment. So if they were going to go into battle and everything was loose and just flying all over the place, guess what? They were not going to be able to engage the enemy correctly. So the belt did what? The belt got everything tight. What tightens everything up? Truth. What deals with the loose ends in life? Truth. Some of us don't like the truth. Some of us don't want to hear the truth. But listen, it's not just knowing truth, it's living truth. It's living the truth. He goes on to tell them to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, absolute righteousness. Where does righteousness come from? It comes from God Almighty. What, is this, what does this breastplate do? This breastplate covers all of the major organs. In our lives, where the enemy wants to come, what is it that protects us against the works of the enemy, uh, that protects us against all of the onslaught? It is protecting us in a major way. It is the righteousness of God. 
What stands between us and why does the enemy not have access and a right to my life? Why? Because I'm good? No, because God's good. Because I'm perfect? No, because God's perfect. Because I'm righteous? No, because God is righteous. He goes on and tells them to have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace. Again, there's only one gospel, an absolute that the church should be united around. We should be united around the truth. We should be united around the righteousness of God, depending upon not our righteousness, but the righteousness of the one who died for us. We should be prepared for the gospel of peace. And so we think about those shoes, and they wore these shoes that had some spikes in them, kind of like cleats in a sense, and they were for what? They were to keep them solid because you know what he said? Paul says it three times, that you may be able to stand. Why is it? Well, listen, if you're in a fight and you fall... You're dead, pretty much, right? If you fall, you do not want to fall when you're in a battle, right? Just, just Listen, all you got to do, just go watch the first five minutes. It's gory. Go watch the first five minutes of Gladiator. See how many people fell and died. <laughs> Maximus fell. He didn't die. You know, he was fighting. He did well. But anyway, <sighs> he, didn't, he didn't stay on the floor very long. Why? Because you have to have a good footing, you have to stand. Now, let me tell you, soldiers used to wear these three pieces of armor all the time. All the time they wore this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, these shoes of readiness with the gospel. They stood firm. They, they had to wear this. That was normative for them. But then Paul goes on and he says what? And above all else, taking the shield of faith that you may be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So now this is a big old, this is a big old um, shield that had, you know, typically had oil on one side, and that way it could handle the, the flaming darts that would come against them. And so what happens is what? Is that whenever they're going into battle, that's why Paul says this, because you know what keeps us going? You can know truth. You can know about righteousness. You can know about the gospel. But man, until you exercise faith, doesn't matter. How do you extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one? It is when you walk by faith. What is our vision? Our vision is to please the Lord in everything that we do, right? By faith, to do what? To please God by faith. Faith is what? Faith is obedience. It's living in obedience. And so what does Paul say? Taking up the shield of faith, that you may be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the wicked one. That you believe the truths that God has communicated. That you stand in the righteousness that God has afforded you, that you are firm in the gospel that has saved you and delivered you, and that you are supposed to be sharing with other people. So let's take up the helmet of salvation. Again, they didn't walk around with this helmet on. be pretty uncomfortable, but whenever they were going into battle, let me ask you a question. Where do you think the enemy wants to make you feel the worst? He wants to make you think, man, am I saved? You ever had those moments where you're like, man, am I even a Christian? Hello. My thoughts, the way that I'm feeling right now. Sometimes, listen, sometimes it's not even your actions. It's like, man, how can I think that? How can I feel that way? I'm just, I'm, look, I'm keeping it 100. I know some of you walk on water. I don't. I'm just saying. The helmet of salvation Keeping your mind stayed on the Lord. And then taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Taking up that sword of the spirit, the word of God. There's one truth, is there not? There's one righteousness, right? There's one gospel of peace. There's one faith that we're supposed to stand in. There is one way of salvation, not many ways of salvation. There is one who saved us, and there is one word that brings it all together, and that is God's living word. He gives us this one weapon, right? All, everything else is defensive. But then he gives us this sword. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What do we have to understand about God's word? It is God's word. God's word breaks down strongholds in our minds. Listen, church, you have to be in this word. It's not enough just to hear preaching on Sunday or hear some preaching throughout the week. No, no, no. You've got to be in this word. It is this word that is going to pull strongholds down in your mind and also pull strongholds down in other people's minds. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, what, to, to, to destroying these arguments, to the casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that strives to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing all of our thoughts into captivity and to the lordship and obedience of Christ. That's what the word of God, the word of God is the weapon that he gives us. Listen, you don't wage a good warfare on emotions, are you here? Listen, we can, we can, we all day long, we can say whatever we want to say. We can, we can have all the opinions we want to have. We can think what we want to think. All of those things are powerless. The only thing that is a weapon that is powerful against the enemy is God's word. Because God said it. And if God said it, he will accomplish what he said he is going to accomplish. See, the thing is, church, when we emphasize the attributes of the armor of God, subjecting ourselves to the Lord in them, we position ourselves for victory in this battle. And I want to say this and make this crystal clear. Obedience is the highest, highest level of spiritual warfare. Obedience is the highest level of spiritual warfare. Listen, we can rebuke, we can break chains, we can bind and loose, you can, whatever, listen. You can do all that. But if you are not gonna walk in obedience to the word of God, you're not gonna experience victory. You're not gonna experience victory over the enemy. You and I experience victory over the enemy when we do what? Like James says, James chapter four, verse seven, it says what? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You know what the problem is? We quote the second half of the verse and ignore the first. Submit yourselves to God, period. What does submission to God look like? It means submitting my life, yielding my life in obedience to God. When God says yes, I say yes. When God says no, I say no. Doesn't mean that it's easy all the time, because sometimes you want to say yes when God said no, and sometimes you want to say no when God says yes. That's what submission is about. Submission is yielding your will to the will of God. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this say, live empowered. Live empowered. How does Paul wrap up this verse? He says in verse 18, look at it with me, please. He says, praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Now, pause with me for a moment because what Paul does, he says this put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And the next thing he tells you, this is how you stand. This is where you stand. You stand in the place of prayer. You stand in this place of seeking God, praying always with all prayers. So what do, you get, what do you get armored up for? It begins with prayer. Praying. Not just praying once in a while. Praying always with all prayer and all supplication in the spirit. Not in the flesh. That's a capital S there. Come on now. It isn't just praying in your spirit it is praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is praying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is praying as the Spirit of God directs you. And guess what? God's Spirit will direct you and align you with what? God's Word that he inspired. That's why we have to be in his Word. That's why he gives us the sword of the Spirit right before he tells us to pray always. Why? Because it's the sword of the Spirit that is going to allow us to pray fervently, to pray effectively, to pray powerfully, to pray in a way where lives are changed, where, listen, where cities are changed, where nations are changed. You know what the problem is with us as a church? Man, I, I firmly believe this. We're a prayerless people right now. We're not praying the way that God has called us to pray. And so all of the upheaval and everything that we're seeing is what? It's the result. Now, listen, I firmly believe that we're living in these end times and things have got to get ugly. But what I also know is this, is part of the issue is a church that is absent in the place it needs to be present. When I look at the way people talk on Facebook, when I just gave you the example of the text message conversation, when I look at the way that people are responding, it's okay to have differing opinions and differing views. Why do we got to be ugly with each other, Christians? Come on now. Followers of Jesus, light of the world, salt of the earth. How is it that you're being a light? 
How is it that you're being uh, salt in this earth when love is not flowing from your heart? You know why? Because you're not connected to God the way you need to be. See, many Christians, here's what happened. We got saved, we walked with Jesus for a long time, and we got comfortable because we know enough of the Bible. We know enough of Jesus. We've had enough experiences with God, and so we're good to go. We depend on those things, not realizing we need to be in a living relationship with a living God that is ongoing because, you know what, I'll tell you what I learned in my life. What I learned in my life is when I am not in prayer, when I'm not seeking God the way that I ought to. You know what I start to do? I start to slip back into these old ways of thinking. I start to slip back. I start to get caught up in things. I start to become impassioned with things. Man, that those things shouldn't be the things that motivate me. See, I said this before. I, say, I, think, I think I said this during our Politically Correct series. I'm not sure. The church should be active. We don't need to be activists. We need to be active. We need to be engaged in our culture, but we're not called to be activists. That's not the primary calling. Read your Bible. I promise you there was all kind of injustice. There was all kind of ugliness that was going on throughout Scripture, and yet what do you see these people committed to? Preaching the gospel, turning cities upside down. Church, here's the thing. Legislation does not change the hearts of men the way that God can. It is God alone that is able to deliver people from their sin and this world is in bondage to sin and the only way that they're going to be delivered is through the power of the gospel that is being proclaimed and lived through a prayer filled church this is the truth and Paul says what put on this armor so you can pray always not just pray once in a while see here's the deal church we need to be prayed up what does it mean to be prayed up it means I need to be prayed I need to be praying for others and I need to have others praying for me are you here it's not just about you. It's not just about me. I need to make sure I have people praying for me, but I need to be praying for other people as well. See, my prayers need to always be focused upward, but they also need to be focused outward. Because we can get so caught up in our list of things we're praying for, of things we need to tell God about, of things that are going on in our lives, especially when you're going through hell, right? You're going through hardship, you're going through difficulty, and all of a sudden you got this list of things you're talking to God about. Are you talking to God about other people's kids? Are you talking to God about other cities? Are you talking to God about other families? Are you talking to God about other brothers and sisters in Christ that may be going through some stuff? Are you talking to God about those things? Because here is what Paul tells us to do. And then he says as the pastor, as the apostle, as this, as, as this mighty man of God, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, listen, pray for all the saints, but pray for me too. Pray for all of those other brothers and sisters. Pray for them, but pray for me too, that I may be able to be a bold witness in the midst of these chains that I'm in, in the midst of the bondage that I'm in. And so that's the way that you and I need to be praying. The Holy Spirit does what? He empowers us to pray effectively, which leads us to living victoriously. You hear that? He empowers us to pray effectively, which leads us to living victoriously. See, when we are in this word and we are praying out of this word and out of the relationship we have with God, all of a sudden we are empowered to live the victorious Christian life. And victorious Christian life doesn't mean I'm rich, doesn't mean I'm wealthy, doesn't mean I have every single thing that I want. It means that I'm living in victory over the enemy who is coming against me. And so here's my last question before we pray. Are you armored up? Are you armored up? Man, are you, are you walking in this truth, in this righteousness? Are you walking in the gospel of peace? Are you, are, you, are you standing in faith? Are you firm and secure in your salvation and being able to share that with others? Are you in God's word the way that you need to be? Church, we need to be armored up. So I'm going to ask you to just take this moment. Just bow your heads right where you are. And, 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 and listen, if you want to stand, stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. But I just want us to take the next five minutes, and I, I, ju I just want us to pray. Just, just begin to intercede. Just begin to cry out to God. Listen, we sang, we need a move. Let's pray 
we need a move. Let's pray for victory in the body of Christ. Let's pray for deep intercession in our own lives, that we would be men and women that are given to prayer. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we humble our hearts before you this, this morning, Lord. We humble ourselves in your presence, God. Father, we humble our hearts before your wonder, before your might, before your power, before your kingdom, God. Father, we want to be a people that are armored up, God. We want to be a people who are standing firm in these evil days in which we live. We want to be a people that are not shaken by what's going on in this world, but we want to be a people that are living as ambassadors, even as the Apostle Paul was an ambassador in chains, God. So we, Lord God, let us be ambassadors in our freedom. Let us be ambassadors that are given to you as the king, as the glorious one. Lord God, let us be those representatives in this earth. Father God, I pray for us in this place, and I pray for the body of Christ, God, that we would walk in truth, my Lord, that we would walk in truth, that we would walk and live according to the truth of Scripture, that we would live truthful lives. Father God, that we would walk in righteousness, my Lord. That we would not depend upon our own righteousness, but God, that we would be dependent and rejoicing in and faithful to the righteousness that we have been granted because of the blood of Jesus. Father God, that we would be a people who stand firm upon the gospel, God, that we are not shaken in our faith, that we would understand, Lord God, that we have been saved by grace, that we have not just been saved, but we have been sent by grace, Lord God. God, to share this gospel with others, Lord, even as this world continues to come against truth, as this world continues to minimize truth, God, may we be a people who stand firm upon the truth of the gospel, God. Father God, may we be a people who are living by faith, God. May we be a people whose faith is not shaken by doubts and discouragement and fear, but may we be a people who are firmly rooted in the truth of your word, standing in your righteousness, standing upon the gospel but Lord God are believing these truths are living these truths and Lord God when temptation arises Father God when lies of the enemy come Lord God when deception shows its ugly face God may we stand in faith God Father, I pray that we would be a people who are firmly rooted in our salvation. Oh, my God, that we would rejoice in this salvation that we have, that we would begin, Lord God, to rejoice and reflect in it. But, God, not just that, but, Lord, that we would share this gospel with this world. Father, as we look at our cities as we look, Father God, at, the, at our nation, as we look at the, at the nations of the world, God, but Father God, here at home, we are in such, such turmoil, God. We are in such turmoil, so much chaos, so much confusion. And Father, in so many places, your church or professing Christians are being utilized to advance the lies of the enemy rather than the truth of the gospel. God, have mercy on us. And Father, as we are here and we are hearing this truth today, Oh, God Almighty, may we no longer pander to false ideologies, no matter who we love. Father God, as we see different movements rising up that are anti-Christ, that are anti-Christian, that are anti-truth, my God. Father, may we be bold to stand against those lies of the enemy. Father, let us not be influenced by falsehood, but let our lives be influenced by truth. Father, as we pray, God, we lift up this nation and its leadership. Father, we pray for our president. We pray for our vice president. Father God, we lift them to you as they lead. Father God, we lift up Congress to you. We lift up the Senate to you. Father God, we lift up all of those in positions of authority. 
Oh, God Almighty, Father, I pray for a move of humbling. I pray for a move of repentance. I pray for a move of submission to you. God, I pray that even as you did in old days, that you would do now, God, that you would reveal yourself to this nation's leaders and that you would bring them to their knees, that you would bring them to humility and surrender. Father God, I ask you that you would raise up prophetic voices. Father, I pray for us as your church that we would be faithful, God. Father, that you would utilize the the preaching here, that you would utilize the preaching of our lives as we go out of this place to be prophetic voices, calling men, women, and children to repentance. God, raise up those who have the ear of our leaders, Lord God. Raise them up as you did Nathan and call this nation to repentance, God. Father, as you did Jonah, my God, you raised up a reluctant uh, prophet. But Lord God, nonetheless, when he proclaimed your word, there was national repentance, God. And so, Lord, we pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would raise up prophetic people in this hour Father, let us not be given to partisanship, but let us be given to the prophetic calling we've been given to be a light, to be a voice, to even be the conscience of this nation where we are, God. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for bowing to the idols of our culture. Forgive us for bowing to the idols of greed. Forgive us for bowing to the idols of comfort. Forgive us for bowing to the idols of pleasure. Forgive us for bowing to the idols that do not bring you glory, God, that that detract from who you are. Forgive us for bowing to false gospels, God. Forgive us for allowing those false teachings to be present in your church. Father, cleanse us. Father, purify us. Father, and I pray for us. But I pray for those that struggle to have a consistent prayer life. God, give them repentant hearts now. Father, may our flesh not get in the way of your spirit. Give us grace to say yes to you, that we may be able to be the intercessors, the watchmen on the wall, that you have called us to be. Father, make us a people who are known in heaven and make you known in the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.